You're listening to the Turn Again Ministries podcast with evangelist Aaron Pratt. Turn Again Ministries is based out of Fellowship Baptist Church in Clark Lake, Michigan, and is dedicated to bringing America back to its godly heritage. Let's prepare our hearts as evangelist Aaron Pratt brings forth God's word to us today. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy in chapter 3. Well, we have a number of people gone today. I know that we have the teen girls camping trip and a number of people are up there. We also have, I know the Vincents are all on vacation and a number of other people are also on vacation. If we actually had everybody not on vacation, we would have a really good crowd for a Wednesday night. So thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your attendance. We are in the book of 2 Timothy and chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, being deceived, uh, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing whom thou hast Learn them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that that the man of God may be perfect Truly furnished unto all good works. Brother Corsa, could you lead us in prayer, please? going to speak to you on teach and preach to you on a subject that I really wrestled with the Lord over whether or not I should bring this uh, teaching to you here this evening. Um, I questioned and I said, well, certainly they don't need that. The subject, the title of the message is the inspiration of scriptures, a matter of faith. No matter how well grounded you are on this subject, we all need to be reminded of this. We need to have this reinforced because if there's anything out there that is to attack, attack Christianity, it is the main thwart of the devil. It always has been and it always will be to place doubt in the word of God. The inspiration of scriptures, a matter of faith. The Bible teaches us that the inspiration of scriptures is the doctrine whereby we can rest assured that what we have written here is a love letter written by God, from God, to us. 
It is a doctrine that teaches us that though in a world where facts seem to change and opinions are all over the place and what is today's news isn't actually true, and in a world where we're filled with lies and untruths, we have something that we can rest on, on those areas of our lives that are the absolute most important, those spiritual things, those eternal things. And that love letter is called the Bible. It's that thing that you hold in your lap, that thing that hopefully you seek early in the morning, and that thing that hopefully you memorize and meditate on throughout the day. It is God's inspired word. The most important doctrine in Christianity is the doctrine of salvation. We do not enter into Christianity without the doctrine of salvation, that which saves a man from hell. However, undergirded in this doctrine, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine which allows you to take your faith and put it in the precious blood of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. Undergirded in all of this is this very important doctrine, the inspiration of scriptures. I dare say that the most important doctrine in scriptures is obviously the doctrine of salvation because without that we are all destined for an eternity in hell but without the inspiration of scriptures we cannot know our way to heaven we cannot know our escape out of hell therefore undergirded the foundation of all that we know and all that we believe about salvation and how it is that we can please god is the inspiration of scriptures I struggle to say that it is the second most important doctrine because without this we don't know what I mentioned of the most important doctrine. Without the inspiration of scriptures, we can't rest assured that by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Without the inspiration of scriptures, we cannot know. We cannot know what pleases God. We cannot know for sure what his Ten Commandments are. We can only rest in that which we observe from creation and that which we observe in our consciences. The inspiration of scriptures is the foundation of the entire Bible. It is what we rest every doctrine on, including us being saved from hell. If we do not have a book from God, then we can know nothing about God, really, except those things that are revealed to us in creation in our consciences. We cannot know for sure that God is good all the time. We cannot know for sure that God is omnipotent. We cannot know for sure that when you're on the side of Jesus Christ, in the end, you are in, on the winning side. You cannot know these things without a Bible. And you cannot rest assured in those things in the Bible without having an understanding, a belief in the inspiration of scriptures as it's laid out in the Bible. You and I, without this doctrine, without trusting in this doctrine, you and I are just walking in a wilderness. And Buddha then is just as good as any other God without our faith and reliance upon the inspiration of scriptures. And thus we then are as all men most miserable because we cannot rest assured that Jesus Christ rose from the dead without knowing and believing in the inspiration of scriptures that records those events. And thus, if we don't have a Bible that we can rely on, if this is no better than 
a catechism, if this is no better than, than the Quran, if this is no different than a man's philosophy book, if it is not indeed the word of God, then you and I are wasting our time. We might as well just go home and eat and drink and be merry. Without the inspiration of scriptures, you're wasting your time tonight. Because you have nothing that you can rely on without belief in the inspiration of scriptures. Yet God saw to it to give us a book whereby we can know of eternal life, whereby we can know how to be perfect and truly furnished in the eyes of God, whereby we can know how to please him in good works. And thus, our belief that God meant what he said when he said it, that he has given us a book and he has preserved it, Psalm 12, verse 7, thou shalt keep them. Keep what? Keep the words of God, the pure words of God. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The preserved, inspired word of God. I don't know that I could ever stress to you how important this doctrine is. This is a doctrine that will keep you out of error. This is a doctrine that will keep you on the straight and narrow path. This is a doctrine that will keep you out of compromise. If you take it and you believe it and you accept it with all your heart, what is the highest name that you can think of? What is it that the Bible says we've been given a name that is above every name? What is that name? That name is Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the God of the Father. Jesus Christ, his name is exalted above every name, above your name, above Satan's name, above Buddha's name, above every other name that has ever existed. Jesus Christ's name is exalted so that one day in the future, every knee should bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord though they reject him today and though they though they hate him today and though they mock those who serve him today and though they ridicule him and question who he really was and whether or not he really even existed one day each and every person will come before Jesus Christ the almighty God and one day each and every person will bow their knee and confess their tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord yet God says that he's set something higher even above the name that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Thy, thy word above thy name. And don't try and retranslate that and say that the word means Jesus because John 1 tells us he's talking about scripture, that I will magnify thy word above all thy name. If you meant Jesus, he would have used a different word besides word. 
that I will magnify thy word, that one day every knee will bow to Jesus Christ, every knee will confess that he is Lord, and that that name is above every name given among heaven, given under heaven, yet something is exalted, something is magnified even greater than his name, and that is his word. God, through his scriptures, endeavors to stress to us the importance of this doctrine. And Satan knows the importance of the inspiration of scriptures from time beginning. He has tried to corrupt the word. Even when Paul, it is amazing to me the amount of preachers out there who for some reason they don't believe that there are corrupt scriptures out there and there are pure scriptures out there. Yet Paul, even while he was penning scripture in 2 Corinthians 2.17 said, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God we speak. If your Bible says we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, if your Bible says we are not as many as peddle the word of God, you have the wrong Bible. Paul spoke, Paul wrote a letter to the church at Corinth and said, there are people right now trying to corrupt the word of God, but I'm telling you that there is a pure word of God. And this, this issue goes all the way, if you turn with me back to the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. This doubting the word of God, this lack of faith in the word of God. After God told Adam and Eve to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Satan, now the serpent, was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. Yea, hath God said? You shall, need of, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Notice that Satan didn't attack whether or not God was good. He didn't attack any of the attributes of God. He didn't, he didn't attack whether or not um, what, they were, what he was telling them to do was the right thing to do. He, he didn't do that. He just said, did he really say that? I mean, you heard him say that, but are you really understanding that, right? I mean, maybe there's something deeper there. Maybe he meant something different. And all through Christianity, you will read men that they don't utter the words of Satan, but they say, yea, hath God said. Another word that you could use here. A better word that you could use here. Yea, hath God said. Satan says, did God say that? Satan enters into this battle. He, he doesn't even say, God didn't say that. He, said, he doesn't even correct God. He just says, did God really say that? Satan's battle and focus is on the word of God. He brought about the downfall of the entire human race as a result of saying, did God really say that? I mean, did God really mean it like he said? 
I mean, do we have to take that literally? Did he really say that? And that's because God's word was questioned we have for all eternity, untold billions in hell. Gather that. Christians, gather that. Because Satan merely said, did God really say that? Did he really mean what he literally said? Or did he mean something different? We have set on the course of history for the past six or 7,000 years an untold number of people dropping off into the pits of hell for all eternity. Do you see why then God has magnified his word above his name? Do you see then why the very foundation for every doctrine that we believe and every doctrine that we hold dear and every doctrine that we will die for is the inspiration of scriptures? Do you see that the very first thing that Satan attacked was not whether or not God was good, was not whether or not God was sinless, was not whether or not this thing or that thing or this theology or that theology. It was whether or not God really meant what he said. It was whether or not God really said what he said. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall neither eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. God didn't say that. Eve adds to the word of God. She takes away from the word of God. She changes the word of God. One of the strengths of the devil is to lure you into a battlefield where you are not equipped to fight. You cannot match wits with the devil. When Jesus was pulled by the devil into this place and that place, Jesus didn't try to match wits with the devil. He just said, thus saith the Lord. Yet instead of saying, thus saith the Lord, Eve says, yeah, let's talk about this. Let's reason it out. Let's use our reasoning and our mind and our intellect. He wants, you to lure, he wants to lure you into the battlefield of intellect and reasoning. As soon as you submit to that realm, you have already lost. The battlefield of intellect and reasoning is filled with agnostics and atheists. The moment you enter into the battlefield of intellectualism and reasoning is the moment you have already been defeated. Instead of just walking away and saying, thus saith the Lord. One of the great tactics of a strong soldier is to know his battlefield, his advantages and his disadvantages. As Christian soldiers, we are not to enter into the battlefield of reason and intellect. We are to flee the devil and just trust that God meant what he said. And when we don't, when we enter into that, I wonder if God really meant what he clearly said he what he clearly said is the moment we've already lost the battle. We're already going to fall into temptation. We're already then going to fall into sin. And the consequences of Eve's sin, the consequences of Eve not fleeing and not saying, thus saith the Lord, is that the entire human race was condemned for judgment for all eternity. I don't know that we could ever really understand or grasp how important this doctrine is. 
We are in a day and age where many versions of the Bible that contradict each other, that contradict each other, that we could throw up our hands in the air and wonder where God's word actually is. Or if we even have God's pure word today. We live in a day and age where even those who use the King James and preach from pulpit engage in a practice of correcting their Bibles. It used to be where they said, a better translation is here, but now they're a little bit sneakier about it. And I don't know that they always mean to. I don't know that they're always trying to correct the Word of God. But when you insert an English word that means something different than the English word you have in your King James Bible, what you have done, whether or not you have said that you're doing this, what you have done is you have corrected the Word of God. An example. We come across the passage such as, the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, do I have an explanation for that? Yeah. Am I 100% confident in it? No. But I hear preachers preach from the pulpit, the love of, the mo of, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Well, that's not what it says. That's not even in the Greek. And when you do that, what you've done is you've retranslated the Bible because you couldn't understand it. So you just decided in your own intellect and your own reasoning that you were going to make it simpler for you to understand rather than just asking the Lord and waiting patiently for him to show it to you. I cannot tell you how many times I've come across the passages of scripture and I have no idea what it means. I ask the Lord to show me and he shows me what it means. I can't tell you how many times in Scripture I've been puzzled by a passage of Scripture, and I have spent months and years of revisiting that and toiling over in my mind, for finally the Holy Ghost illuminates it, the light bulb goes off, and I have understanding. Your Bible does not need your help to be retranslated, Christian. It just needs to be meditated on. It just, needs to be, it just needs to be accepted for what it is as the Word of God to be meditated on. You don't have to understand every passage of Scripture in the Bible. You just be comfortable with that. This is a deep book. You don't have to find the answer right away. Just be comfortable with that. Just rest in that. Just rest that when you are ready... When God has matured your mind, and when God has matured your heart, that he will show you in his time. Don't go and retranslate the Bible and pretend like you're not doing it. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Mm, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, not all sorts of evil. And then we go back. And we see the foundation for this doctrine in Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, where we began in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to move with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to share some things with you this evening that when I first heard a preacher preach this, I was offended. 
He was mocking me. He was making fun of me. And I sat there confused and offended, but I walked away. And I asked the Lord that if this man, what he's saying is correct, then would you show me? And I can't get over the day when I sat in my Bible and the Lord gave me the faith to believe that he has preserved his inspired word in an English translation. And that I don't have to sit back and scratch my head and wonder what it really means in the Greek and what it really means in the Hebrew. That God has preserved his word unto every generation and that includes my generation. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So what is the inspiration of scriptures? What is that? And what does that mean? How did God give us a book that's his word? That's, according to Psalm 12, pure. That he would preserve his pure words from this generation unto the next forever. How, how, did, how did God do that? We can go to 2 Peter chapter 1 and read, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made, unto you, we, we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please go with me there. I don't want you to... This is a Bible study tonight. This is not necessarily me preaching to you. I want you to see this. Please go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. You need to read this for yourself. 2 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to pick up then at verse 17. 2 Peter 1, verse 17. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, the voice of God, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Peter is saying, when we saw the transfigured Jesus... We heard the same voice. We heard the voice of God. And then Peter says, listen to verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. A more sure word of prophecy than the voice, the audible voice of God itself. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, as until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Let me stop there. Verse 19. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Do you realize what the Bible is telling you there? He's saying that if you lined up all of the apostles and the men that walked with the flesh and blood, Jesus Christ himself, that if you lined them up and they told you, if Peter came here and John came here, and they told you about Jesus transfigured up, that we have something more sure than the men who walked with Jesus himself. Do you realize that Peter is saying that if God were to open the heavens and he were to come down in the Fellowship Baptist Church and he were to speak audibly to us, that we have something more sure that we can depend on than the audible voice of God. Thus I have magnified my word above my very name. That you have something in this precious book 
that you can count on more heavily and more sure, 100% accuracy, than the very voice of God speaking to us himself. And is it a wonder to you then that men and the devil are about to corrupt the word of God? Some of them do it accidentally. Some of them do it on purpose. But the devil is always doing it on purpose because he knows that if he can get you to say, yea, have God said. If he can get you on the intellectual battlefield instead of just resting in faith that thus saith the Lord. If he can get you there, then he has defeated you. Then he says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. But listen to this. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now we're trying to figure out what is the inspiration of scriptures. And we use this verse as a, as a buddy verse for 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 to identify the process of the inspiration of scriptures. And we hear, if you read in your theologian textbooks, we hear that the inspiration of scriptures means something like God gave words, the exact men, the exact words to write, and he wrote them on paper. This is talking about scripture, but he mentions nothing of writing. Holy men of God didn't write as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Look at that. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And you say, Brother Aaron, what's your point? Where are you going with this? Where I'm going with this is that it is a great concern of mine, even in our fundamental Baptist churches, that we have taken the doctrine of the inspiration of scriptures and we've placed it on intellect and we've placed it on reasoning and we've, we've cornered God into a box that says he must do it this way, otherwise it couldn't have been done. He must have given man's, man the exact words to write on the paper, otherwise it couldn't have been done. But Peter says that when the scriptures were written, that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So scripture then defeats that logic that you find in your theological textbooks of what the inspiration of scriptures mean. What, do, what does that mean? So then we come up with inspiration. Where does it begin? Where does it end? Does it begin with God speaking? Does it end with God speaking? What parts of recording scripture are involved in the whole doctrine of the inspiration of scriptures? Is it the men speaking? Is it the men writing it down? Does it go all the way through? Uh, Translation, does it go all the way through? Copying? And we put our faith in the intellectual crowds. We reason through and come up with our own intellect, the process of inspiration, because we think that the Bible doesn't give us enough information about how this miraculous the inspiration of scriptures. This miraculous process occurred. I have never seen a fundamental Baptist try to explain the science behind the resurrection of the dead. Never saw that before. 
I've never seen a fundamental Baptist. I've never seen a preacher, and praise the Lord, I've never heard a preacher ever tell me the science behind how the Red Sea parted and how the Jordan parted and the Israelites walked over on dry ground. I've never heard that before. We accept them as miracles in the Bible. We don't try to explain them with science. We don't try to explain them away because we know that we have a God that is above science. He's above then reason and intellect. And if he wants to give us his words, through the inspiration of scriptures, he's not cornered into a box with your reason and your intellect. Us, we reason away and we put all of this intellect into it and we take out the miracle aspect of God giving his word to us. The inspiration of scriptures, the process isn't important, folks. We get so hankered down about the process. How did God do it? It's not important. Just like how did God raise himself from the dead is not important. The fact that he did it is what's important. The Bible never tells us how God raised himself from the dead. We just believe it. And the Bible never tells us really how we have the inspiration of scriptures. He just records it and says that we have it. Therefore, we ought to just believe it. It's the product that's important, not the process, the product. It's the fact that you, because God has promised it, you have a Bible in your lap that you can call the Word of God, the Word of God that's given to us by the inspiration of God. Maybe he did it through mechanical dictation. Maybe not. I don't know. Do you? How do you know? We have so many theorizing about all of these different things. Cornering God into a box to say if it happened, it must have happened this way. And God never speaks of any of those things. He just tells us that we have his word and just trust it. Divine process by which God conveys his word. This is the inspiration of scriptures. It is the divine process by which God conveys his word to man, through man, in a miraculous power. A miraculous manner, using the personality of man, yet conveying the words as if they were the very words of God. You have a book. Whether or not you believe it, you have a book in your home, sitting on your lap, in your phone, that is God's word for you, word for word. Can I prove it? No. Can I prove that Jesus Christ raised from the dead? Can you prove it? No. God just said it, and I believe it. And I'm not going to enter into the battlefield that Satan wants me to get into, to go back and reason and intellect through all of these things. Yea, hath God said, did God really say it this way? Did he really mean it? Did he really mean that he would preserve his word from this generation, his pure word, the previous verse says, from this generation unto forever? Did he really mean that? Or is it locked away, hidden somewhere? All that I know that, guys, God, God moves through a process. I don't know what that is. Inspiration of God is simply God did it. How do I know? Because I have it. You say, well, that's simple. That's oversimplification. Well, that's fine. That's fine. We, we need to get back to the simplicity of the gospel. We need to get back to just resting in what the Bible says for itself. The inspiration of scriptures. So does that only apply to the originals? 
are only the originals inspired. You peek into most of your theological textbooks, and that is what they will tell you. I want to convey to you that what I am preaching to you and what I am revealing to you, what I am teaching you, you may not find very popular. You may not find that the majority of people believe it. But you will find if you open your mind and just have an open heart to this, that this is what the Bible teaches. If it only applies to the originals, going back to 2 Timothy 3.16, flip back there, now you have a problem because coupled with inspiration, you have a purpose. Why did God inspire his word? If he only inspired the originals, if only the originals inspired, then that means his word is not actually preserved. If it only applies to the originals. We see the reason for the inspiration of scriptures in verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. If I have a less than perfect scripture, then the word of God is less than perfect for me to be perfect and truly furnished unto all good works. It's like because I don't really